Hello and welcome to Women on Top with Holly Madasser, where the conversations focus on women, wealth, and social change. Holly and her guests, who represent many different fields, engage in transparent conversations that reflect professional and personal struggles, as well as accomplishment. Some are making strides to address societal problems. Others have chipped away at the proverbial glass ceiling. All are supporting the financial future and well-being of women. Through these conversations, we learn about embracing a purpose and lifting others up while ensuring our own future success. Now, here's your host, Holly Madasser. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Women on Top, Women, Wealth, and Social Change. Today, I have Julie Abrams with me, the CEO of How Women Lead, who um, is not only a um, U Chicago quant nerd, <laughs> but also has in a fierce passion about equity and justice for people. And so, Julie, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super jazzed to have this conversation. It's my favorite topic. I know it is. And that's what I want to explore how does the quant turn into somebody like you? What what inspired you to care so much about giving back? Well, you know, I would say my core values are all about justice. Um, and when you look at justice in the United States and who's vulnerable, um, you know, the, and and how do you make you know move the levers for change? Um, where I've decided to focus my effort in this point, in this part of my life, is on women and people of color. Um, and the lever is that we have the first moment in the history of the, the world that I know we, we have such a huge number of women who've been in the workforce for 30 years. Like we've never seen anything like this. And we have power, wealth, and influence. We may think we don't have enough, but we have enough collectively to really do some big stuff. Like, uh, you know, if you if you think about 30 years ago, there were not this many women um, uh, that could come together and make change happen. So when you look at some of these messy uh, justice issues, like um, women getting equal pay, well, who sets the tone for whether or not we're going to pay people equitably? It certainly stop, starts at the top. So the corporate boardroom and the C-suite. Um, so if if we can make sure that corporate boardrooms have a good governance, asking great questions and have diversity and people who are asked, actually asking questions about issues like these. And if we're getting more women in the C-suite uh, running companies that are successful, women will be paid more equitably. People of color will be paid more equitably. We will have more jobs and more people in senior leadership uh, that, that are women and people of color. So to me, that's a, that's an example of like, how do we take this moment in time and actually address the issues for justice because of this opportunity? Yeah, I think you make such a good point. And, and you, know, you know, we're soulmates on this. I'm a huge advocate for women. And um, in my research for a, a book that I wrote, I learned that women control two thirds of the nation's wealth. So that's approximately $20 trillion. Like to put that in perspective, the nation's debt after the pandemic is $30 trillion. So this is an enormous amount of money. And yet virtually every client that I work with, um, and I work with high net worth clients, they all think of themselves as someone who doesn't have enough money and is going to become a bag lady someday. And so the psychology around that, as, as opposed to owning your wealth and using it to wield influence 
and power to address the issues that you're talking about, like social justice. I'm not sure where that comes from. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, what's kind of interesting is we just did a research study looking at the investing behavior of women and men and women of all different backgrounds, ages, et cetera, and actually found that women, um, when they make investing decisions, are far more likely uh, to make those decisions based on their values and things that are important to them. So given um, an opportunity, and I think that's part of our problem is a lot of women don't actually know how do they get involved in investing in, in, uh, let's say, investing in ventures funds that are focused on women and people of color or climate or other things that are important to them. Um, but women are more likely to, to choose to make that kind of an investment. You can see it in their purchasing behavior as well, uh, that, that when they have an option, uh, when they have the resources and, and an option is presented to themselves, they're going to buy from uh, the company that is local, the company that is um, that has a reputation for doing good in the world. Yeah, I think that's right. I remember that there was an article in The Economist that came out and it said that in a normal investment portfolio, women generally tended to be more conservative. But if you put a a sustainable portfolio in front of a woman, she's a lot more of a risk taker than her male counterpart because she's actually going to put her money where her mouth is. You know what's so interesting? I think that 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 article really was on to something. We think that women are risk averse. It is actually not accurate. It's true. I would call it (laughs) risk aware. What happens is you think about the stock market. Women are more more likely to invest in mutual funds. Men are more likely to invest in individual stocks and trade them and lose more money. Women are actually more effective investors because of the way that they invest, because they're more aware of the risk. And maybe that means there's a little more fear that they're carrying around with them, but it actually makes us wiser and better investors. Uh, So what I would like to see is us to change the narrative and help also people who are advising women um, uh, to really understand how to get to the core of what's important to women and to ask and to say to women, listen, you're not alone and you get to be this way, right? You, it is appropriate uh, for you to be aligning your, uh, your investing behavior with your values, whether it's ESG or something else. And, and not to allow themselves to be talked down to or talked over by the typical investment industry, because women, as you suggest, actually earn one to 2% a year more than their male counterpart. It's not that they're more conservative. It's that men, studies show, are overconfident. They actually yeah. think they can pick the stock and time the market. And that doesn't work. I mean, women don't think that they can do that. And yeah. they're right. It doesn't work. So women yeah. chase security and not returns. They have a long view. And that makes you a more successful investor in the stock market. Well, and when you think about private markets, like let's, you know, a lot of us have a friend that asked us to invest in their startup and that's called angel investing. I'm making a direct investment in a company. Someone asked me, I give them 10,000 bucks when they start their company. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's super high risk. A lot of us still do it. 
But if you if you use what I just explained about the stock market and mutual funds versus stock picking, um, and use that um, as a proxy for women's behavior, when women are offered the opportunity and understand the opportunity to invest in venture, which is basically a mutual fund of uh, of startups, you are it's ten to thirty companies are in that portfolio, so you're diversified. You own a percentage in all of those different companies, as opposed to investing directly in one company. Or, or a couple even, um, it's just not diversified enough. And, and furthermore, you're relying on the experts in the venture firm to decide what is a good investment to negotiate with a little more power because they have more money to negotiate. They're, they're putting in bigger investments um, and then to be able to track and support those companies to success over time. Yeah. And just for our audience, um, venture investing is Give us the definition of that. What is a venture investment? Yeah. So we have this whole ecosystem of people who want to build scalable companies, companies that are going to become really big. And usually they need a big infusion of money to be able to do that. And we have a group of investors, people who go out and raise money. I raised money from my friends and I put my own money in to a pot of money. And I and I look at that investment opportunity. I'm like, okay, great. I will make an investment, but I have to be able to see an exit so I can pay everybody back in the time frame that I've laid out in this venture fund. So most venture funds are about 10 years long. So I say, I'm going to raise $10 million from my friends. We're going to invest over the first couple of years and help companies get to a successful exit. So within 10 years, everybody gets their money back, plus all the earnings that we've modeled out. So if you if you kind of think about the structure of something like that, I have to see that these companies are going to have what we call a multiple. They're going to return back to me multiple times the money that we invested uh, because of uh, how how a company works. Like in the beginning, you own ten percent of a company, and over time, with additional rounds of investing, and as the company grows your ownership percentage you know, go, go shrinks and stuff. So you need to make sure that you're able to pay people back um, plus great earnings. And so our value, so our, our vision, what we're trying to model out is that we will we will return back three to five times the amount of capital you invested. So if you think about this as a long-term play, it's way better performance in the stock market, uh, but it's not liquid. It's not, you can't get cash out. You yeah. can't call and me up and say, hey, I need, I'm going to buy a house tomorrow. Can you send me my hundred thousand bucks? <laughs> yeah, work that exactly. Way. So it's illiquid. Um, yeah. It's higher returns. It's also higher risk, right? Absolutely. Because you don't, yeah. ha you don't have a mature company that's made it to the fortune 500. Right. And, and so you've got a startup and I think in a fund, you correct me if I'm wrong in a venture fund, you expect a pretty big swath of companies not to make it, but the ones that do make it sort of cover that deficit. Is that? Yeah, that's right. Now, venture funds focus on different life stages of companies, right? So you have like somebody who's like, I have this idea. I want to build something. That's, that's called pre-seed investing. It's an idea stage. That is super high risk. I don't even know if you know how to build that thing. I don't know if there's any, you know, if you build it, then it's going to break immediately. Is there a market? Like, yeah. We, we don't, there, we don't yeah, even know if anyone whole, would buy it. If you don't know how to run a company, do you know how to sell it? Will anyone exactly. buy it? Right. Exactly. So the beginning is like, I have an idea. Then the next stage is like, okay, I created one version of this thing and it works. 
software or a technical thing or whatever it is, right? Um, uh, so that's that's like seed investment. Like I got a prototype and then the next level is like I beta tested it. I have users that have actually used it. I know it's working. And now some of those beta testers are saying, I will actually buy the product or I will buy this, you know, get a subscription for the service. So, so those are the stages that are the beginnings of a company. And then there comes a point when it's like, hey, it, and this is more like when you think about like somebody who's maybe in like a series A or a series B, I'm sorry, I'm using lingo, but this is just how we think about it. It's just a stage of company development. Those are companies where it's like, yeah, I've got 50 clients already, but I want to get it to a thousand clients. I'm ready to really scale in order to scale up. I need an infusion of cash to do that um, so that I can continue to scale up this company. The likelihood that company goes out of business compared to the pre-seed, like I just got an idea or I just have a prototype, but I don't know if I know how to sell or I don't know if I know how to run and manage the staff. You know, there, there's huge risk in the earlier stages, less risk and less reward financially by investing later on. So once the risk is, is less, the company is valued at a higher rate. So my $100,000 investment, let's say, in a company that's much bigger or later stage is going to be worth way less. Yeah. So, so what you need to be thinking about, you know, when you look at venture firms or uh, uh, when when you're a venture capitalist yourself is, um, you know, what what is my appetite or belief in sort of the the model of how, you know, the risk and return comes out. So um, I have two funds. I have one that's a later stage fund with 10 investments, two of them sold within 18 months. Uh, which is fantastic. The likelihood any of those companies go out of business is pretty thin to me from what I know now after I've invested for a while. Um, but there could be some that don't make a lot of money where I get my money back or 1.5%, right? Um, now, and then what we're looking for is a couple of those companies to really, to have a hundred times return, like uh -huh. something really big. So that's how you think about that portfolio. In my second fund, it's an early seed fund. So they're beyond, I have an idea on the back of an envelope um, or a napkin, but I am starting to, you know, I've got a, I've got a product or a service. I'm starting to sell it. Um, and that's where, that's where you come in with a seed investment. And that's, you know, a 35 to 50 companies in that portfolio, smaller checks, higher risk because the, the companies are earlier stage, but our ownership value and the potential future uh, reward is much higher because those companies, um, uh, I own more of those companies for a smaller amount of money, right? And, and that makes sense. Um, and and I, for women who wanna support other women, I, you know, I have a lot of clients who give $10,000 to their local charity, right? Yeah. And so I've heard you talk a little bit about this is here's a way that you kind of can can mix your philanthropy with a potential reward. So let's just say that you invested. I want to add one more thing. Yeah, yeah. I would say I want to add a third thing to the mix. Not only okay. can you do good work in the world, um, kind of like your, your grant making or giving, right? And you can make money, but you also can elevate your brand. Like it can be a power play for you. So it's a threefer if you ask me. So sorry, go ahead. 
No, that's okay. I want to explore that. What do you mean it can be a power play for you? Just think about it. If you go meet somebody at a business meeting or a cocktail party and they say, I'm a venture investor. What, yeah. <laughs> what does that make you think when you hear that? Like it just oh, kind of make you're you're a badass. <laughs> you're a badass. You might know a lot of great people. You might be you might know enough to be able to advise a company. Yeah. Um, you could go on my board and introduce me to other venture capitalists. Like we have assumptions that may not be true, but you get an aura from just coming out and saying that that's where uh, it's, that's it's what social capital. And Dude. and for most women who give money to their local charity, you know, that's kind of expected, right? Yeah. That's what women do. Women give in greater numbers than men charitably, even though they don't maybe altogether give more money, they give more often. Yeah. And yeah. It, with this, it's like if you're willing to get a charity and accept a 0% return, but you could give to this and maybe you get a nice return. Maybe you don't. Same outcome as giving charitably. But now you also have that social capital and you're also directing it specifically to what you want, like helping other women, yeah. you know, the social cause of getting women to the decision making table yeah. that can change yeah. the it's outcome a, systemically for the rest of us. It's a huge power play. And you can actually use your donor advised fund, which is you've already said, I want to donate this money someday. And you can invest those funds in a venture firm, just like you can invest your assets from your donor advice fund into a mutual fund. You can invest those in any investment vehicle, for the most part, can be invested in an alternative asset like a venture firm um, or private equity. So, so I would just say, like, you know, you can do it all. You can have your cake yeah. and eat it because that yeah. money returned, hopefully with a great return, um, can then be donated to even more charitably. Yeah, charity, it can be, right? then it can be donated. So to, to be clear for our viewers, if you have a donor advised fund, this is you put money into this fund and you get a current year tax deduction for doing that. You don't have to distribute that money at any point. There's no restriction. You could give it out five years from now. So I think what you're saying, Julie, is instead of just investing the money in a normal portfolio, a 60-40 or bonds or money market or whatever you do with it, you can invest it while it's invested in some of it, at least in a VC fund where it's also working in alignment with your values. And then when it comes time to make distributions, you still get to give charitably, right? Yeah, exactly. So I would just say, ask, ask questions of your advisors, um, and some advisors don't have an incentive. Uh, they don't, maybe don't even understand venture investment themselves. Um, but if you think about it, some advisors get rewarded by how many dollars of assets under management they are overseeing. When you take money out of that pool and you put it in venture, let's say, um, some some investment advisors don't like that because you're taking money away from their assets under management. Um, so just be under, and make sure you know the self-interest of whoever is advising you and then make sure you stand in your power. And, you, you know, I think the rule of thumb is, you know, obviously there's a million different, like what, depending on your age and your risk tolerance, but you know, 5%, uh, five to 10% of your portfolio can, of your, of your investments, of your retirements, funds, et cetera, um, could be, should be considered to be put into an alternative investment, which is just another way of saying not in the stock market, put it in a, in a, in venture fund. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. exactly. 
as you're saying, Julie, I mean, it depends on your age and stage and how much overall wealth that right. you that's have. Not, that's not tax advice or investment right. advice, right. by the right. way. That's right. just like, it's some, it's a rule of thumb to consider. <laughs> it's a rule of thumb to consider. And it is something that's not talked about very much. So I've noticed um, kind of a trend more recently of high net worth women wanting to support women owned businesses. And this is a way to do that in a diversified way that's vetted as opposed to your next door neighbor who has an idea about how to make cookies, yeah. you know, right? So let me make, let me demystify a couple other words for you. Um, so uh, when you think about investing in an, investing in a company directly or in a venture fund, you might hear someone say, are you an accredited investor? When you hear those words, a lot of us think, oh God, I don't have time to go get an accreditation. It sounds like a class or a bunch of <laughs> yeah. forms, right? Really what it is, is the Securities and Exchange Commission just came out with a definition. They just want to make sure you have enough money to hold, put your money in a what we call a non-cash, an illiquid vehicle, right? So that the money's going to be locked up for the term, the terms of the, the life of the fund. So, um, so that's, that's what they're trying to protect you around. So you have to have $200,000 a year in earnings um, in the, for the last two years as an individual or 300 as a household or a million dollars outside of your uh, home. Uh, so uh, in terms of value, so your retirement funds, right? So if you meet any of those three thresholds, you just have to raise your hand and say, yep, I'm accredited. Nobody, there are some cases where somebody might say, hey, give us, you know, upload some forms and stuff. But most most folks, you just say, I'm accredited and that's all you need to do. Um, uh, so so make sure that you you don't get, you don't get turned off by some of that language. The other thing that's kind of interesting is a lot of venture funds will say our minimum investment amount is generally what I see is like two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. Every time anyone says that to me, a couple minutes later they're like, "But I'm happy to lower the bar because I really <laughs> want you involved." Um, uh, and and I would just say like, don't get intimidated and ask. Furthermore. Um, uh, when so in my fund, our minimum investment amount is designed to get women to cross over the line and start investing in venture. So our minimum investment amount is twenty five thousand dollars. So it's not that much money, and it's spread over four years. So it's actually only six thousand two hundred fifty dollars a year, and it's the same time every year. So I can plan for it. That's called a capital call. So I send people a, a message and I say, okay, send your $6,250 in the next 10 days. They know to expect it. And that's when they send the money. A lot of venture firms, um, it's better for them financially if they call the capital with 10 days notice when they need it, when an investment opportunity comes forward that is really hot because they don't want to sit on your money if there's, the money is not making any it does, isn't, you know, they don't want the money to be sitting in the bank very long because they're starting a clock tech, you know, keeping track of how long they had your money and how much money they, they made for you. So they don't want to keep it too long. Um, so they'll do a capital call whenever they need the money. And you could be on vacation um, when they send that capital call. And that's kind of aggravating. So, you know, you might want to just like ask that question 
how much is your minimum? Are you sure that's the lowest you can go? Because maybe you want to invest less. Um, and then ask them, what is your capital call schedule look like? And is there any flexibility if I'm, if I'm, you know, on vacation or something? Yeah, those, those are all really good points. And, and so let's say someone decides that they want to invest in one of your funds, Julie, what, what involvement do they have? Because part of, Part of this investment is emotional and psychological. It's the desire to do good. So they want to know where the money's going, who's doing what with it, what are these companies, who's the success story. That's what they want to know. Most venture funds will send you a report annually, maybe quarterly, um, that's like, here are the five companies we invested in, and here's a a report on how they're doing. There are other funds like my fund that are designed to actually help you you really get to know venture investing and, you know, know, build community with both the investors and with the founders. Um, And so that's also something fun to ask questions about and look about, like, how do you engage us? In my fund, I actually ask you the day you talk to me about investing and I say, what's your subject matter expertise? So let's say you are a med tech expert. Um, when I see a company in the med tech space, I'll call you and or write you an email and say, Hey, do you want to help me evaluate this company? Yeah. Uh, and if you have time and it's fun for you, you can help me look at who's the competition. Let me look at this product, the new, the new solution. Is this really going to work? You know, what is your experience about trying to sell something like this? Or, you know, what are the, the pitfalls or if they need FDA approval, are they on track? You know, all those questions, right? So you can do what we call due diligence, which is help us evaluate these companies. In fact, in my second fund, because these are really early stage companies, um, uh, one of the things we do is every month we bring people together for what we call an investment screening event. And people get to meet these entrepreneurs. They'll do a 10-minute pitch. They get to ask questions um, uh, and help us sort of give us your opinion, uh, which we take under advisement. It's not a decision-making thing, but you get to give your opinion about whether or not you think we should move forward with due diligence and consider investing in this company. So it's a little bit Um, like Shark Tank, right? (laughs) A little bit, yeah, but in the nicest friendly, women-loving kind of way. And then once we make an investment, we actually um, will often negotiate a board seat. And that's when we um, will call on you if you have an interest and and the founder thinks you'd add value. And we'll say, could you play a role as our board representative for the fund in this company? Um, so those are, those are the kinds of things that- um, Yeah, so it's just a really in. a wonderful way for women to engage. It is. And we also have parties with other investors called limited partners or LPs, if you hear that lingo. Um, uh, and we have, we have quarterly meetings uh, where you get to meet the portfolio company founders, like all kinds of fun stuff. And where, where <laughs> do these things take place? Where are you headquartered? We're in the Bay Area, um, but everything's on Zoom these days. You know, we're pretty much doing everything virtually. Now we do have some, we do have some in-person parties because, you know, yeah. we, all, we all got it. We're desperate to see each other and get back. In <laughs> so um, kind of hard to do that in every single city where we've ever, uh, where we have an investor, but, but we try and get around. We've done some stuff in New York and DC and Chicago and San Francisco. Yeah. Well, Julie, it is just a delight to have you here today. Not only, um, 
I know you run various organizations, How Women Lead, How Women Inspire, but you're an inspiration to us all. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you for all the good work you do to amplify other women's voices. Holly Madasser, CPA, is a partner and senior wealth management advisor at Stearns Financial Group, an investment management firm with offices in Chapel Hill in Greensboro, North Carolina. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Hightower Advisors, LLC, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Refer to brokercheck.finra.org for more information. This podcast is copyrighted and all rights are reserved. The content of this podcast is for information only and not intended to serve as financial, legal, medical, or any other form of professional advice.